when you look back at things you've done a long time ago, which at the time felt a bit random and pointless, and you didn't know what it was leading towards, and then you look at the work that you end up doing two years later. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Art Juice. This is episode 111 of honest, generous and humorous conversations that will feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Alice Sheridan. And me, Louise Fletcher. So this week we have a subject which is uh, quite close to my heart, but hasn't always been, it has to be said. This is something that I used to be rather terrified of. We are going to be talking about sketchbooks. Yay. Yay, or groan, or fear, (laughs) or guilt, or something around sketchbooks. So we're going to be talking about that, how we use them, um, journals in our work, all the kind of different ways that they might feed into it. Um, But before that, what's your week looked like? What have you been working on? We started some new paintings, um, actually as a result of my sketchbook, but I'll get to that. So I've started some 12-inch paintings I had my neighbor's little boy do some work for me, sanding back old panels that I had not used. So I've got about probably 12 or 14, 12 inch panels, most of them not even cradled, just flat bits of wood. And he sanded them all back so they're all smooth. And so I've had a really good time painting over those and creating a new series that I'm really excited about and that are quite different from what I've been doing before. And funnily enough, I painted over something. We often get this question about um, owning, you know, how do you let go of things that you love? And there was one painting, which was the very first abstract painting I did. And I was very attached to it just because it was the first time I realized I could do Mm -hmm. that. And this week, it was one of the ones that got painted over because I finally feel I'm okay to just say goodbye now because it wasn't very good. But I was just hanging on to it uh sentimentality so I'm doing that but the other thing I wanted to mention because it might be of interest to other people is in the last few weeks last few months actually I've worked more consistently on putting things on YouTube Mm -hmm. and having a plan and a strategy for using YouTube because I've noticed Instagram is just painfully difficult to build an audience on these days and Facebook is okay but it's always grown at about the same rate And I was just looking at my YouTube stats. And in the last month, my Instagram generally grows 12%. It has done for years. It grows 12% every month. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 14. That's pretty good, you know. Yeah, it's quite good. You know, it's a steady growth. YouTube, since I started paying attention per month, subscribers are up 50%. And views on my videos are up 150%. And all I've done is one weekly YouTube video. Mm. That's it. Um, And I put the same video on Instagram afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have anywhere near the impact that it has on YouTube. So I just thought it's interesting to see and really engaged people. Lots of comments. People are joining the waiting list for my course. I've had inquiries on my website about paintings. You know, I am getting engaged people who are interested. So 
I just find it, I, I just wanted to mention it because this might be an avenue where you still can quite quickly build up awareness if you are okay, excuse me, with being on video. And even if you're not, I mean, you can Doesn't sit have to there be and, your face, does it? Yeah, you can sit there and paint and mm-hmm. just talk about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I found the longer videos are more effective for me than the shorter ones. Painting demos are by far the most successful, not surprisingly, when people can see you doing things. Yeah. Even if you're not, you don't have to be doing, and I'm not doing a demo that starts with a lesson and ends with a beautiful finished product, just painting and showing what I'm doing, whether or not it finishes with it, ends with anything has been really powerful. So it's just worth putting out there for people to think about because I've not ever really put any effort into YouTube before. Right. I've got some questions for you. Hmm. Do you think that, how do you think these people are finding you? Do you think it's to do with the description of the video that you're putting out? Because I mean, they can either be finding you because maybe you're sharing in your email and are you sharing videos in your email, which links back to YouTube? Could that be some of the route in? I am doing that. Your email list is pretty big, isn't it? It is, but the way it's working. So in the back end of YouTube, they have fantastic analytics. So you can see um, when you post the video, what the reaction is and where that video ranks in terms of all the videos you've uploaded. So I don't share it in my newsletter until Sunday and I upload them on Thursday. Yeah. So I can tell which ones do well instantly and which ones don't. But I can also see where the views are coming from. And it's surprisingly low on subscribers. If you think about the way you you use YouTube, certainly the way I use YouTube, I don't see when somebody I'm following has posted. You know, someone I subscribe to, I don't even know where to go look for that. Oh, I get a notification. Where do you get it? I don't know. It pops up on my phone. It says, Oh, I don't let my phone have a new video. I don't let my phone have notifications about anything. So that's why I never know when you message me on Facebook unless I'm on my computer. Because uh, I hate that. My phone's for like texting, making phone calls, and that's it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So most of the views, I'm just looking where I see that here. Um, most of the views on the last video, the last video did really well. It was number two out of my all my all-time videos in the first couple of days. But then... Yeah. It didn't do as well with my newsletter readers. It dropped to number four of 10 now. But I can see if I just look here, you can see YouTube recommendations represent 41% of the views. And that's based on the YouTube homepage showing people when they come on. So at the moment, I'm not doing any of the right things. Mm. I'm not SEOing anything. I'm Mm -hmm. not um, doing metadata And I'm going to start working on that now that I see how effective it is. What I am doing, though, is answering every comment and engaging with people. Yeah. Um, And that seems to be, you know, the thing that's making the difference. So even though I'm not doing any of the things I've read are the right things to do. Yeah. It's 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 really interesting. So I because you'd think it would be a kind of saturated platform already, wouldn't you, in a way? You would. Now, I'm yeah. I'm still very low. We're talking here about, you know, in terms of YouTube audience, people have millions of subscribers. I have 15,000. Yeah. But a couple of months ago, I was at 9,000. 
And it's all the only thing that's changed is me doing one weekly video. Yeah. And the other thing I'm doing actually is it's always the same day. And I don't know if that helps. So I always show up on the same day. But the other thing is once you made a video for YouTube, then it's going on Instagram TV and on Facebook, just uploaded natively to those platforms. Then it's going on my blog. And then it's going in my newsletter. And that's the only content I'm putting out at the moment, except for the podcast. Yeah. So, and I could be doing more with it because I could do a quote from it and put it on Pinterest and I could, you know, don't have the time yet, but yeah. So anyway, just something for people to think about because I think. It's, I mean, I think it's really exciting and it's fantastic. Like I say, because it does, you do, it does feel as though, like what's the point on something like that if it's all it's been going for a while there are huge channels why would you even bother competing with that but I, I mean my, my, mine nowhere near like yours I can't think the last time when I uploaded something to to YouTube and I, I I can't even but you know there's still a good few thousand subscribers on there and I'm like what are you even subscribed to I think I've only got about four videos on there it's, it's crazy so there is an appetite for it the other question w- was Do you think that this works or or rather interest is that I can see how this works particularly well if you're interested in, you know, demonstrating your work, showing your work, leading people who are artists towards learning if you're teaching. So if you've got a teaching platform, workshops, absolutely brilliant. What's really interesting from what you said is that it's led back to your website for people who are actually inquiring about buying work. Yes. Even if that's not the focus of the video. Exactly. And and 50%, 40 to 50% of my sales are are to other artists. Mm. So I'm not bothered if they're coming to watch me demo because I still think that they're potential buyers in the future. Um, So I don't know, you know, I'm sure you can be much more strategic and think, right, if I want art lovers to find me, how do I do that? But also, I think some of it is cross-platform stuff. So you're saying, why do people find you when you don't post anything? But you, you, you've got a good following on Instagram. And so those people that, that use YouTube are going to look you up and, and see if you've got anything on there. And this is the thing that's so frustrating in a way about all of this. And, you know, we've just come off a call about, about Instagram and reach and audience and I know it's frustrating and I kind of said in that, you know, it, it's, it, sometimes it feels a bit like a, 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 a rusty cog, but over time it all works, but it's, it can be really difficult to pinpoint exactly where it is. Sometimes you get a sudden lurch, sometimes you get posts that does particularly well, or you get a reel that does particularly well, or somebody else shares one of your thing. There are so many variables. So while it's fantastic, fascinating and I think this is great this YouTube thing it's also something that I have just always tried to be a little bit careful of getting too embroiled in you know stats and analytics and Mm. it's difficult because we want that feedback we want to know that the effort that we're doing is working so that's why you're excited about it because like you're making a conscious effort and it's working and you know that's good that feels good and, and because, yeah, and because I found a way to do it where I'm getting a lot of content out of one thing. One thing. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's, that takes the pressure off me to feel like 
oh, I need to do something good on Instagram because I know, well, at least I'll have a good video on Instagram and then maybe I'll just post whatever I feel like. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I I don't like going through deep. I do like analytics, actually. I like numbers. You do quite. I like, I like knowing where I am with things because, because it's a business for me and because I want to know that I'm putting if I'm doing the things I don't love like making videos I don't love it at all if I'm doing that I like to know I'm doing it for a good reason getting the most out mm-hmm. of it so I can have more time painting yeah and not have to be constantly thinking yeah, about yeah. yeah so I think it does matter to me but I do I do understand what you're saying it where it gets you down is when like when you look at Instagram and you go wow I did you know that post got amazing reach and everybody engaged with it and my next post didn't do anything and I'm not getting any new followers and that can start to get really depressing yeah that's all I'm saying is I think sometimes it helps to have a little bit of a degree of distance and I th- I agree with you we want to know that what we're doing has has impact and it's difficult because it is all a web it does all feed into each other and it's different difficult almost impossible to identify and isolate what one particular thing it is yeah so I I don't know in that sense I may be a little bit more of a generalist you know do the things and as long as everything is kind of moving in the right direction and you have a little there are particular times where I'm a little bit where I'm more strategic and more conscious about what I do when there's yeah. a particular outcome but that's not most of the year that's a couple of points like you know when I've got work ready but the rest of the time it's just go and I think that's what's quite nice about what you're doing on YouTube is that you found a way even if you don't like making and editing the videos, you found a way to do it that feels relatively easy for you. Yeah. Even if you don't like it and then you're getting yeah. the multiple impact of it. So that's fantastic. Right. We'll have to call so What have you been? YouTube. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what have you been up to? Uh, I've been, um, it feels like finally sort of, but back in the, back in the studio painting, I've got some, uh small mid mid-sized small pieces um to finish off and it's interesting how things sort of come full circle and in a way they're con- a continuation of what I was working on towards the end of last year which is what I've sort of called this wild swimming series which isn't hasn't been out anywhere yet but I'm just much more interested in the movement of the paint and how I manipulate it I think that's ultimately your job as a painter is understanding your materials in order to get them to do what you want and it's not just about skill it's about identifying what that is you want from your paint and just and playing playing with it and um I had this big sketchbook which will lead us in and I found this this really interesting long quote that I'd written from Robert Motherwell um which I posted on Instagram and again like I say I thought that was going to be one of those posts I don't I'm not sure if I even hashtagged it I thought it would be like you know zero interest was a boring photograph lots of comments not so many likes and reach but really nice comments and feedback on it and I just like the fact that it's nice that we can share all those parts of ourselves um but it led me then into doing a little bit of research into I don't know how to say this someone's going to correct me tachism which was a kind of 
offshoot of or is happening at a similar time to abstract expressionism, um, but seem to be much more to do with the um the the mechanics if you like of paint using the mechanics of paint so sliding messy organic play that kind of thing so I've been just enjoying that really and I just think it's it's just been interesting to see how I've had some panels that were a bit stuck and when you approach them with a view to right what needs to be checked you you always come back to something don't you with like what am I going to tweak or change here that's going to spoil it or what do I want to do and then I realized that actually when I got to the end of the painting session I would say I don't know 93 percent of the surface of the board had been changed but what was there underneath was still valuable to the end result yeah but you can't foretell where it's going to go and I just love I just love that being directed by your materials in the process yeah so that was really fun and I didn't video it while I was doing it sorry yeah even that you know the speeded up ones people love those which your yeah. phone does automatically so you don't even have to edit them I haven't done any of those for ages but they are really good problem with that though is it makes it look like you can bish bash bosh at painting out in 15 seconds <laughs> and also I have too long with big ones I have too long where I pause and look and think so yeah so yeah okay so I've just been back in the studio and it's been fun so that's good so but I'm feeling again like I'm maybe getting that little little group of work towards towards being finished right so on to our main subject then that kind of leads us in doesn't it so this question was submitted some time ago so sorry uh Tanya but we do get to them eventually but here we are Picking up on your question, and let me just read it. You said, could you discuss how we use sketchbooks and journals in developing work, or perhaps they become developed pieces in themselves? How do we move on from the sketchbook to develop a piece or a series? Are we collecting information, distilling ideas, experimenting, or perhaps a combination of these processes? So what's your relationship with sketchbooks you know it's changed a lot over the years so if I look at sketchbooks from five six years ago they were really a visual journal they were a visual diary I Mm -hmm. and I and I enjoyed that use of sketchbooks I was thinking when I was looking back at them this made me remember my life a lot more I am I am one of those people who doesn't remember my life. My my mum thinks I was abducted by aliens and replaced by someone with no memory because I can't remember any of the things my family remember. But I remember the days I drew and yeah. I remember where I was and what the weather was like and everything about it. And that's a very powerful thing about keeping a visual diary and I don't do it anymore. So I used to use it in that way. For a year, as I've said before, I used it to make a series of self-portraits. I used, I filled about seven sketchbooks with self-portraits. That was another use. Now it's shifted. So, mm-hmm. and, and in those days, I was more worried about making nice pages because I was making a visual diary and I was never very good at that because I'm a bit messy. I'm just not a particularly precise person but now it's shifted and I'm much more 
I love my sketchbooks now. I've got two different ways I use them. And we will go into this, I'm sure. One is kind of as much as I ever analyze, it's analyzing. It's when I take pictures of my own paintings, put them in a book and write notes about what I like or what I don't. And when I take other people's paintings and stick them in books and write about what I like and what I don't. So that's really important. I do that constantly now and it, and it, it feeds a lot of what I do. And the other way I use them is for experimentation. And that's where they feed into the work, which I don't want to do all the talking so I can get into how later, but I use them as a playground, literally like right. anything goes and I fingers, you know, everything can be a horrible mess. I don't care. And then I use it to mine for ideas and yeah. that's relatively new for me in the last year. And it's been a massive game changer. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I think most people like you start with sketchbooks that are more literal. Like we start with drawing visually what we can see. So it starts as a drawing practice. You know, maybe it might start when you're on holiday um, where you've got more time. Maybe it's something then you bring into your everyday life. I remember at one point though being really, really bored or feeling like, feeling like I should, feeling like I should be doing more drawing and do, thinking, well, I'm at home, I'll draw some things at home. And then just being so bored by my own sketchbook. Because I was like, I, you know, I don't want to draw this. I don't want to draw the corner of the kitchen with the sink or the soap dish or whatever. You know, that's not what I want my sketchbooks to be. And it, I remember then, I think I've had some different periods of sketchbooks. So the first one where they were really important to me was when I was doing A-levels. And at that point, they were more like a, a collection of ideas. So they were gathering all your information and resources together. So you're sticking things in, you're referencing other artists. There may be some pages that were drawing exercises. I had one, I had an A4 one, and I kept it going, you know, through, through A-level time and through different projects and it was all happening in that one sketchbook when I went off to uh foundation and university I've I, I had a friend and her handwriting was beautiful and her sketchbooks were beautiful and it just totally put me off and I don't remember keeping sketchbooks at all in foundation I don't remember what they told us about it I don't remember whether I got in trouble for not keeping them I don't remember sketchbooks being encouraged at that point and certainly not, you know, I, I didn't use them uh, while I was doing my degree. That was graphic design. You know, all the work went into the work that we were doing. So there was a bit of a gap. And then I think I really came back. I struggled with sketchbooks for quite a while because I had this thing of what sketchbooks should be used for. And there was a lot around about urban sketches and going out and on location drawing. And I sort of felt that that's what I should be doing. And yet I didn't really want to. It wasn't it didn't pull me. I just didn't have any um, urge to do that. So there was this disconnect. There was this feeling of like, I know that this is an important thing. I know I can see how this might feed into your work, but I don't know what it looks like for me. And that was quite difficult. Mm. Um but I think the, that's a bit, yeah, I think that's a bit what I felt like too when I was doing those visual diaries it's like yep. okay I can do this but I'm not 
that bothered about making beautiful pages and I see people who do make beautiful pages and it makes me think this is not for me because I can't be bothered to even try doing that and I think that's where the impatient side of me came out I thought why would I spend all this time making a beautiful sketchbook when I could put it into a painting you know I'd rather put it into a painting um so there was this there was this gap, this kind of hinterland. And I think what really brought me back to sketchbooks was a was a couple of things, really, um, probably three things. One was when I was printmaking and we were learning so many different new uh, practical information, things that you needed to keep a note of. So you needed to keep a note of test plates, prints, how long it was in the acid for, what does this look like, print it out, stick it in. So it really became a big, and at that point it was a big, I had a big A3 hardback sketchbook so that you could stick full prints in. And it really became a a useful block of information. And seeing it as a scrapbook, feeling it as a scrapbook rather than a sketchbook broke me free from this idea of it has to be visual drawings. And if you don't want to do visual drawings, that leaves you in a big empty hole. What what is it that you're going to put in it? Um, And then the other thing that really made a big difference for me was starting rather than feeling like I had to have one sketchbook that was the thing, the journal, was having different sketchbooks for different purposes. And I know that this is a slightly weird scattergrammy type approach that might drive some people crazy. They just want to have one book and they keep everything in one book. But I like having different books for different things. And that does mean that I have a pile. Yeah. Sketchbooks. Yeah, <laughs> I do have quite a lot. And I have, do you have a lot? I have a lot that started. So I've got one I found the other day that says colour on the on the side because I'd mm. started using it to mix colour in, but then mislaid it and used another one since then. So now I've got two with colour mixing in. I've got a little one for composition, which I cannot find to save to save my life. I don't know what I've done. That's with it. annoying. So I've started when you've got a sketchbook somewhere and you've lost it. It's like <laughs> But I'm like you, actually. I I came to realize I saw another artist sketchbooks a few years ago that I really admired. I think I was at an art fair and they brought their sketchbooks and everything was in one, like you're saying. She had a pile of them and they'd have a sketch done on a subway of uh, tube, sorry, of people. And then they something they'd stuck in and then a little painting and. I thought, oh, that looks just, Mm. it looks like it's your best friend when it's like that. It looks like, but I can't do it because it just feels too scattered to me. I need to feel like I know what I'm doing in each one. Yeah. So I also have slowly morphed into having different ones for different reasons. Okay, so I can tell you mine, but what are your different ones for different reasons then? And this is another important thing, picking what format sketchbook you know, what type for different Mm. purposes, I think is a complete game changer. Yeah. And I've got two that I, I've, I've, I've transitioned slowly to only using the C white sketchbooks in the last year, partly because, and for anybody outside of Britain, you can actually buy them apparently on your Amazon. So with C white, they have a, a, a wide range of from giant to tiny the ones I like are hardcover mm-hmm. um and I I tend to like them about I don't know what size they are 
This one's too small. So what size is that? That's um yeah. Oh, there it is. It's my composition book. It's in That's why she's gotten it because it's too small. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, know. That looks like it's about 18 by 18 centimeters. Yeah, I think yeah. the ones I like are about 20 by 20. And also that one you just showed, this is a this is a good reason. So that is a perfect bound book. It's got how many pages? 140-ish. So it's quite know, thick. Yeah. Quite thick. And but I like quite a small book. So it doesn't open flat, right? No, it doesn't open flat. Yeah. And I I just like the bookness of these. Yeah. But because it's bound like that, I do cut pages out and have some that it's missing pages because it keeps it from just becoming giant. Oh, I love so, them when they become giant. A big wedge. Yeah, I like a big wedge, but I still like a anyway. We, we've all got our thing. But the, the C white normal ones I like. And the reason I like C white, it's the paper. It doesn't yes, yes. feel like it's really thick. It feels like regular drawing paper, but it takes loads of paint. Yeah. Um. So and the seat, but I, so I use those for color mixing. So I've got one for color mixing. Well, I've got two, as I say, but I should have one. One for look for playing with composition. One for my analyzing or my scrapbook, my things I love and why, and thinking things through. And then I used the C White concertina books of all different sizes for my playground. Yeah. So the concertina books in America and Canada, I know they're called accordion books. I've discovered all this since we mentioned them last time. Okay. And also Hannah Muller makes a zigzag book, but that is really expensive. Beautiful paper and not that many pages. So. Yeah. It's expensive, but it is lovely. I've got one and I've not used it yet because it's too nice. But the sea white, again, the paper's not strong, but it's kind of doubled up. So it takes tons and tons of paint and ink and water. And I've I've really hammered mine and collage and glue. And it and they do become like a wedge, like a door stopper. So you can't get it back in its little case anymore? Then. Oh, no. The, I just throw the cases away because there's absolutely no point in trying to get it back in. Um, but but so those are the ones I like. When I used to do my visual diary, I like moleskin, those, uh, the long, thin ones. Oh, I find the paper too thin. Yeah. And when I was treating myself, mm. I used to get Stillman and Burn is the higher quality than moleskin. They're really lovely. Okay, because the moleskin paper is quite thin and quite smooth. It's fine if you're working with, like if you are doing outside drawing and you're working with just pencil or black fibre pen or something like that, then then they're great or notes. But for anything where you want to have anything paint or watery, they're... they're, They used to buckle. I used to use watercolour in them and they do buckle. Yeah, You couldn't couldn't use ink and pour and do all that. It would just, yeah. No, no. So Um, what about you? What do you like? What are your favourites? I've kind of come around to the spiral bind books. I quite like those. So one of the ones that I first started doing was uh, as a colour book, a small one, similar size to what you're saying, about 22 centimetres-ish, because it's a bit less daunting. You know, a big A4 book, when you open it up, it's quite big. Mm -mm. It can be a little bit daunting. So I think... Pick a size that you feel comfortable with um, is really important when you're wanting to get started with it. You you don't want it to to 
look so scary that you that you can't begin and certainly if you want to do drawing in it then maybe a smaller book helps but this smaller book was what I started doing my color study ones in and that became a thing on its own then my other favorite books are these ones by they're called handbook and the the paper is a bit yellow cream and this is what I do with these little collage composition ones and I started this um, one day when I wanted to have no painting, no drawing, just cutting and sticking. It was like an easy sketchbook, an easy way in. Find an easy way in, whatever that is going to be for you. And I really like the size of those. They have a, a, a elastic binding on the front, which, the one that's actually full again, like the pocket. I can't get it closed anymore. But I quite like the size of those because they do seem to stay fairly flat not mm. like it's something to do with the way that they're bound so even though those ones are bound they do stay flat but other than that I quite like working on loose sheets and then sticking it into the and the spiral bind books and the spiral bind has a little bit more capacity for expansion for that and um that's that's a way that just keeps you a little bit free of freaking out what's on each page I mean I think it's important to remember that your sketchbook is your sketchbook you don't have to show them to anybody it's there for you so working on loose sheets and then sticking things in can be a really good idea if you have a page that you don't like and I've had this before I do one page one drawing that I don't like and it puts me off the rest of the book I'm like I don't want to go back to that because I did a really horrible drawing that was rubbish <laughs> stick something over top of it stick something over the top of it paint over it with gesso and redraw over the top change it but you know don't let it don't let it put you off um and then I my experimental sketchbook is a little one it's a little diddy pocket size one even got written in the front cover the random book <laughs> and I did things in this literally so look there's blank pages in the middle and then there's pages where things are colored later on some of it has drawings out on site but this is a mix of paint and I'm not aiming to complete a page or a study or do anything I might just use uh, I might just add paint to this at the end of a painting session if I've got them left over um and then I might go back to previous pages and carry on adding so each page grows over time in a yeah. multiple kind of multiple step version sometimes I have a page that I really like and then I look back at it and I think what were you thinking <laughs> and then sometimes you look back and this is the thing that's really fascinating about sketchbooks and why they're so essential is that when you look back at things you've done a long time ago which at the time felt a bit random and pointless and you didn't know what it was leading towards and then you look at the work that you end up doing two years later and it totally relates it totally makes sense and that's why it's worth getting over whatever hurdles that you've got for sketchbooks now the way I've been using them in this last few months is to more consciously do that than I've ever done before so I do this, these um, sea white concertina books, and there's one called, I think it's called the octopus book that I want to try, which doesn't open out like a concertina, but certain pages open out and, and then you fold those pages back in. Oh, that like gatefold quite, pages. Yeah, that looks quite yeah. interesting. They go yeah. out like eight times, I think, and then come back in. Oh, a lot. Um, but, but 
I am approaching it, as I said, purely like just play and do whatever I feel like and make a mess and scratch in and use my hands and use different tools and stick things down. And then over time, keep coming back to the pages and making changes and at certain points think, okay, just like a painting. Oh, I, I think I could change that spread to look really good now. What would I do? But some of them are really rough and ready and I'm not bothered and I just keep starting new ones. I've, I've got about five on the go now, both A4 and the smaller size because they come in kind of rectangles, not squares, mm. the concertinas. And um, what I am finding then, though, is I've started to notice, OK, which bits of this do I get excited when I look at it? Which bits am I really obsessed with keeping going? Like last night I went over at nine o'clock and did like two and a half hours because I was so into it. So which bits am I feeling in flow with and which bits? So I made a note, for example, bringing text in through collage and found papers, which I have tons of uh, old vintage papers and letters and newsprint and stuff loving that I don't know why I don't have to know why just notice those are the pages I really like um I'm really liking circles and shapes that join up like ovals or spirally things but shapes that they're coming in all the time and this kind of rock shape and line against a really big solid shape so over the last few months I've just been I've not even been organized enough to write it down. It's just been in my head. That's what I'm enjoying. And particularly the things were text and pattern against really loose painting yeah. or really loose drawing. Those were really exciting me. And that's what. So then I started this series of panels thinking, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do very limited color palette. I'm going to stick to the color palette that I've been using in my books because I want to focus on these other elements and I want to see about bringing pattern in and how much is too much pattern for me before I need to loosen it up and where can I put text in and how can I find text? So I've been making collage papers with stencils. I've been buying collage papers. Um, just And then just so the ideas have come out of what I did naturally without trying and now I'm bringing those in and it's the first time I've ever done that, but I'm not because I know somebody will be saying, so are you taking a sketchbook page and copying it? No, not it's at just all. what I was going to ask. So how no. do this is because this is the key, isn't it? Is how do we move from, you know, what you're doing in your sketchbook to developing a piece or a series? And it sounds yeah. like you've kind of identified some of the key things. So you're taking some of the colors through. Yeah, the colors. And the elements, which are the elements I love and which don't I love? So I know I don't want to do that in the paintings because I don't love it in the sketchbook. And of course, the big issue is the, is the scale difference. So what you're working on small is going to be very different from when you scale it up big. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I notice is that very often they can be two separate things. And I think, again, maybe this falls into this bracket of feeling like what you do in your sketchbook doesn't have to lead you into a painting directly, but it's an, it can be an exploration in itself. So quite a lot of what I do in my sketchbook has edges. It has defined 
spaces it's simpler the, the idea of simplicity in a big painting i'm interested in but i don't think i want defined edges when i actually start working in the paint on the painting bigger like i was saying earlier the materials takes over a little bit so you're you you tend to be working with different materials in a sketchbook than you are on a painting and i'm not though i'm using you're not though so you see there you go i'm using acrylic paint and collage paper yeah so that's why i know what you're saying if i was drawing in the sketchbook or if i was using watercolor yeah. then it'd be different and, and at the moment, I don't have the scaling up problem so much because I'm only on small panels. But with the with the the things I'm loving, I do have a scaling up problem because if I love, let's say, a big headline from an old newspaper, yeah, that's fine at twelve inches. But when I get to a meter, so I'm going to need to get those blown up if I want to. Still, I'm going to need to. That's something new to learn and think about. So. But I find that exciting because now it's a new problem to solve. Like, how am I going to do that? But I agree with you. If you if you want to do what I'm doing and use it to take ideas into paintings, you've really got to be using. A, well, maybe you don't, but I I have to be using the same materials. I don't know if you do have to be. Yeah. But yeah. I'm finding that that's really helpful. But it's it's very an, an example so people can see what I mean is if I think right, I love black text against light then I'll put that into the painting but I won't try and get the same exact text that I had in my sketchbook it's just I loved that effect or I like circles so how many different ways can I find of making circles on a painting and then covering them up and then going back and adding some more and do I still like them in the painting the way I like them in the sketchbook that that kind of thing yeah, I suppose what I'm getting at is that I think that they are, although they overlap and one can lead and have influence on what you do, um, what you do in your sketchbook can obviously have influence in what you do in your painting, because it can be like a signpost. I think they are too, well, for me, they are almost two distinct processes or stages of of the journey and the point of a sketchbook is the point of a sketchbook is space for you to discover and explore and I think why I exactly exactly yeah, but why I saying. tend not to use the same materials in the sketchbook is that I want that discovery and exploration to happen on the painting itself I kind of don't want to discover that in the sketchbook so when I'm working in my sketchbook I tend to be thinking more about um, ideas of choice and um, definition and exploring ideas of proportion theoretical ideas that kind of sense in a sketchbook and it just all kind of exists in my head in this weird sort of stew and then when I turn up at the painting then I work it out in painting I, I in general terms I don't paint in my sketchbook and for a long time I kind of thought well that's a big old thumbs down boo-boo isn't it and maybe it is but it for me it just okay. feels like I I want to do the paint working out on the painting so there is a there is a definite uh division for me but I think you know the point is that 
some people some people are obsessed with their sketchbook and they would almost rather spend more time developing it's such a personal thing yeah such a personal thing and And honestly if I was bringing all my sketchbooks back from the studio the other day and they they were in the car and I actually thought I've got a big bag of sketchbooks I actually thought this I thought if I have a car crash and the car catches on fire I'm gonna have a problem because all my sketchbooks are gonna be burnt (laughs) you can have a bigger problem I didn't think about the bigger problem. I was more worried about this one bag. And then I kind of thought, and what happens if I stop at a traffic light and somebody thinks that bag looks useful and they reach in and grab it and all they've got is my sketchbooks that will be useless to them, but really important. But it'll be lost without them. Yeah, mine is such, tre- I really treasure every one of them. I think why, why I think this is such a good subject for us to discuss is we are so different and the way that we use our sketchbooks is kind of representative of the way we are different in the way yeah. we approach our art. So we both believe, I think from prior discussions, that there needs to be an idea behind what you're doing, that you need to have I, I, I shouldn't tell people what they need to have we both feel we need to have yeah. something behind what we're doing yeah but you're very um not more thoughtful but you you're quite analytical and you give consideration to that in this beginning phase that you have and I've seen you go through this creative cycle there's like a thoughtful time and then there's a painting time and it and it's so you think you're doing it wrong because you or you said I might be doing it wrong because I don't paint in my books. And I think I might be doing it wrong because um, I, I don't have that considered process. It's more like I find what's going on by doing the work in the sketchbook or on my paintings. In the past, it always was on my paintings. But I think it's because I found the sketchbooks that I love, mm. the concertina ones that now I'm happy to spend all day just working in there, like you say, and I'll find out. I know all this is coming out of me for a reason. I just don't know what it is yet. And it will make sense somewhere along the way. But there are certain pages in those books that I think, damn, you know, that's really good. And I'm not going to replicate that. And it's in a sketchbook. But then I kind of like it because there's a little jewel to open up and it's just mine. Yeah just for you yeah but it is interesting isn't it this I hope people are getting that sense when they listen to us talking that it there isn't a wrong or right way and that whatever way you find that if it fuels what you're doing that's that's what matters yeah the the one other thing that I would say before we wrap this up is you mentioned to it in these phases I definitely go through phases with sketchbooks. I have certain times in the year where I find them more useful uh, because of location or because I'm not not doing big paintings, summer holidays, all of those kind of things. I might find them a little bit more useful. I've given up, not that we're going abroad, but I've given up with taking them abroad on holiday. Doesn't happen. I do other things, you know. Life is too short to feel guilty about not working in your sketchbook when you're on holiday. For some people, that's the time that they love doing them. So I also find that if I'm working in the studio, in the paintings, then I tend not to touch my sketchbooks. I look at them, I reference them, I go through pages and I often surprise myself by the links that come up but I'm not actively at that point working in the sketchbooks apart from my studio notebook where I 
write and do drawings of the paintings that I'm working on which is another mm. totally separate thing so it's okay like it doesn't have to be you know you have to do daily sketchbook work for for, for yeah. it to make sense so I think the point here is if you if you're struggling a bit with your relationship with your sketchbook what is it that you're thinking that it should be that you can just check if that's right you know if you're like my sketchbook needs to be beautiful because every drawing needs to be correct really you know my sketchbook Mm. needs to be this because that's how I've seen somebody else do it really Mm. you know find the way that's right for you and I think the format of the book can be a really important part of that yeah I definitely think it's it's so much has changed for me finding that format yeah um because partly because you can spread it out on the table and when it's wet on one part you can work on another part so I didn't really paint in my sketchbooks because yeah. oh then I've got to wait for it to dry and I've got to put something on it to keep it open and da, da, da. Um, whereas this concertina format allows you if you've got a long table as I have to work yeah. on quite a lot of it and and then just put it down on the floor and get another one and work on that for a while and I do go between the two of them um so if you just to cap, go back on what Alice said, if you feel like you don't want to work on them while you're painting, that's fine. If you feel like you do want to work on them, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you never want to look at a sketchbook, that's fine. Although I would say give just give different ways of using it a try because sometimes you do want to work in it, but just not in the way you think you should. Right, so this week, what's inspired you? So it's one year since I started my membership site this week, actually, as I'm recording this. And um, last week we talked about how we don't remember um, our anniversaries and I thought it was one year of the podcast and it was actually two years. (laughs) And but so I don't remember, but I got messages in our Facebook group from people who remembered and said, how grateful they were for the group over the past year when I started it it was just before Britain went into lockdown just before really the whole world realized what was happening and um, I didn't have no idea but it's become obviously a refuge for people and a community when we don't have our in-person communities and so it was just really lovely to go through the comments and see all of the people saying thank you and saying what the groups meant to them, because, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And sometimes you forget that it's a lot of work that's truly appreciated, even though people people who are listening, if you're in my membership, I'm not asking you to give me gratitude every day. I know they do anyway, but it was just a concerted outpouring of affection for something that I was very scared to create and I didn't know if it was going to work so it's been really lovely I'm I'm just so pleased that I made that decision when I did so that's my this week inspiration that's I I love I always love these things where people just you know you just make a decision and you don't know where it's going to go and you know then it either turns out to be good or not good. And in this case, good. And that's yeah. all we can do, isn't it, is make a decision and run with it. And if it um, turns out to be not good, you learn something. So yeah. it works out either way. Um, so, so mine is along those lines, actually, people just making a decision. So I'm kind of inspired by my daughter this week. She's um, 
16, just turned 16. And uh, they're about to go back to school. And at the weekend, she and a friend decided that they were going to walk a marathon. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> Um, just at that weekend well pretty much well it was kind of like on the Tuesday she said you know Bella and I are going to walk around London and we're going to do a marathon and I said are you going to plan your route no not really she said we're just going to go I said you don't have any trainers she said no I'll wear your shoes I said what shoes she said your leather boots I was like you cannot walk a marathon in leather (laughs) boots with leather soles you will kill your feet so we got some trainers online and they arrived and they fitted and off they went at eight o'clock on Saturday morning. And I, I said, not that I didn't believe that they, well, no, honestly, I did believe that they couldn't do it. I thought that they would, I said, you know, if you get halfway, you can always split it and do it over two weekends. Off they went and um, didn't see them for quite a long time. And they came back having walked 42.4 kilometers. <laughs> wow. I know. Just like not like not really any planning. I did persuade her to take an A to Z with her in case, but I think they basically just left the house, headed east into central London, walked around everywhere that was interesting. If they found a place that was open selling food, they bought some food. And when they'd vaguely thought that they'd got about halfway, they kind of changed direction and vaguely headed home again. And they did it. Oh, to be young. I know. I have to say, she was quite achy. She did not move. She was quite hobbly around the house. I'm not surprised. For the next day. But that that approach of, we can just overthink so many things, can't we? I know yeah. I do. That's And they must have seen so many interesting things. I know there's not much going on because people are locked down, but still, you yeah. see a lot walking that far in a big city. Yeah. So that was quite impressive. And then um, I've also really enjoyed watching because of this kind of conversation and this um, uh, quote that I shared, um, somebody redirected me towards a documentary, which you can see on YouTube called Storming the Citadel, which actually I have seen before. So it's about Robert Motherwell and um, the abstract expressionists. And what was really interesting was... And again, isn't it funny how you know these things that you forget? So many of the artists of that period, uh, they first started working on municipal projects in the 1930s. So they were paid by the government to do murals and things, and they were working for very little money. And and then it kind of, you know, sprang up into this movement and they would get together and they would talk about things and they would share ideas and have disagreements. And, oh, just, you know felt like a I don't know if we do it to that degree anymore yeah mind you if you were in that group having those disagreements you'd have Jackson Pollock showing up and weeing in the fireplace and staggering around drunk so I don't know if it was always as much fun and I say that because I've actually been listening to this is a recommendation if people don't know this podcast it's called Art Holes um, and it's an art history podcast done by a guy with actually not much art history knowledge, as he openly says. So he goes and learns about an artist and then he comes and tells you it in a series. There's one about Frida Kahlo, which I haven't listened to yet. I'm just about to finish the Jackson Pollock one. But he goes right back to Jackson Pollock's granddad and then his dad. And then, you know, and it's really interesting. And he's quite he's quite funny and it's a bit snarky and lighthearted in places. But you learn a lot. Mm. And I'm not sure all his facts are always, you know, some of them are 
stories rather than in if you look the story up people say well it's not clear whether that actually happened yeah but it's entertainment and it's it's interesting I've learned so much about Jackson Pollock from listening to this primarily that I'm very glad I never knew him as a person (laughs) and I'm really glad I wasn't Lee Krasner because goodness gracious me what a truly unpleasant man he sounds like he was but it is a good podcast so I recommend it and he's got other artists that he's covering on that too so check that one out do you think it matters with something like that whether you like the artist's work or do you think you can learn just as much by listening if it's somebody whose work you don't like or you're not interested in or who 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 doesn't feel relevant perhaps to what you're interested in and what you're doing I'm sure you can learn just as much. I'm sure you can. Mm-hmm. I, of course, went straight to the Jackson Pollock on his list because I like Jackson Pollock and yeah. I thought, oh, that'll be interesting to learn more. Yeah. I mean, it just goes back to what we're saying about sketchbooks, doesn't it? Is that there are all these threads that feed in, you know, just let there be a place for them. And I think that's where sketchbooks are really useful. You know, you make notes about all of this stuff, learn this stuff. Podcasts are fantastic. And then it prompts you to go off and look and find and discover new artists that may or may not be interesting or relevant to you fantastic yeah right we should wrap this up and get on with our day hope you all have a lovely day ahead of you wherever you are listening so if you enjoy listening to the podcast we love making it um I've just been back to check and there's a lovely review here left by Dan, which I'm just going to read part of it. Um, He says, I've listened to lots of other art related podcasts and none of them have given me what art juice have. I love how natural, funny and down to earth both Alice and Louise are. They talk very honestly about things lots of artists or budding artists will struggle with. I don't have any artist friends. And so for me, art juice isn't just a show I simply listen to. It's one that allows me to really relate to some of the topics. It gives me a sense of community and makes me feel not so alone in my art practice. And this has been so important to me this year more than ever. The stories they tell are interesting, often naturally funny. I catch myself laughing out loud when I'm running and listening to the show. Thank you, Alice and Louise, for giving us such interesting and entertaining shows. They're more inspiring than I could ever express in a review, but I thought I would leave one just to say thank you. Have a great Christmas. All the best for 2021, Dan. And Dan, I'm really sorry that we are now only reading that in March. (laughs) But But thank you so much. That was so sweet. What a fantastic review. So if you're listening, um, thank you. That even if we're late getting to it, that really means the world to us. And it makes a huge difference whether the podcast is found or shown to other people on um, Apple Podcasts in particular. It's the biggest platform. So if you're on Apple, it would be absolutely fantastic if at some point when you get a moment, you could head over there and, and leave us a review. Or if you're listening, do a screenshot of the podcast and share it on social media, on your on Instagram or Facebook. It really does make an enormous difference. And um, if it makes a difference to you, it might make a difference to somebody else too. So thank you very much. And we will see you next week when I think we might be touching a little bit more on Instagram. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. my chair creak.
Yeah. Penny. Yeah. I need a new chair. Okay. <laughs> I like this chair. 